And we are live. Hello, everyone. I'm Josh Gilliland, one of the founding attorneys of the Legal Geeks. With me is Thomas Harker, and we're going to talk about the Book of Boba Fett, the Return of the Mandalorian, and let's just say I'm ready to rock. So, <laughs> how heavy is that right now? Is it is it getting heavier the longer you hold it? Yeah, it's it is the heaviest <laughs> FX lightsaber I, I have because the the hilt is weighty like there's there's it's made with genuine steel so it's uh yeah there's it's a special best car there exactly <laughs> it is the coolest of of the fx ones yeah that's awesome and, yeah and the detachable blade because the bigger people are gonna cosplay with it and want the hill yeah. so <laughs> yeah came with a little tool set that said, right. yeah, it's, it's glorious. Um, we need to get a wall mount for it. But that's a great opening because uh, this episode was nothing I expected. No, no, I don't think I think it caught every everybody knew that Din was coming back in. I don't think we we expected to get a full, you know, 45 or 45, 46 minutes ish of din not complaining no it, it's reminiscent of how comic books are read that you can have this massive side story take up an entire issue yeah or, or as one group described it chapters in a book that you can have mm -hmm. you know that side quest with a different character that's the protagonist for a chapter this is what we got and boy, howdy, was it impressive to see a all those butchers get butchered. <laughs> wow. Uh, it's uh yep. so Ring World has a meatpacking district, and wow. Uh just out of the gate, big bounty hunting issue. He's collect the guy skipped out on a debt problematic because we have unfair debt collecting mm -hmm. and defaulting on a loan doesn't mean end with you dying like this is <laughs> this looks more like a mob hit as opposed to your student loans weren't repaid thus yeah. we're going to garnish your wages or you know you have a tax bill and something like that's happening instead it's i can bring you in warm or bring you in cold for a loan default yeah yeah <laughs> well and it, what's 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 truly funny here in this I, I say like funny with heavy air quotes around it the the business of debt collection is uh among you know one of the heaviest regulated areas uh that that, that exist for good reason because uh so many times in in our own history here in the U.S. And, and it still happens from time to time, but people get pretty abusive when it comes to getting money back that they're owed. And what's funny is Din is, is here wielding the dark saber to collect on this debt, like going to the far extreme of of the the violence spectrum. In real world, it there are so many rules about what a debt collector can and can't do in just contacting you. Here in Pennsylvania, uh, they they can't. 
if they leave you a voicemail, they can't identify themselves as a debt collector on the voicemail uh, to, to avoid a situation where somebody might listen to that and it, it causes a whole issue. Um, and so, you know, the, the irony here is that uh, not only do many other third, fourth, fifth parties get to, to know about this debt, but he gets cleaved in half over it. I'm beheaded. So yeah. there, <laughs> this is wrong on so, so many levels. Cause it, it's one thing to go like, okay, we can't call people at work to collect a debt. Like there's right. it's so, so regulated on like, they, they're not sending you emails on your work email. Like there's, we have all these rules in place to avoid people being harassed or abused. And this goes way beyond the Chicago way of collecting the debt. <laughs> and what's weird is, yeah, it in like if it was like enforcing a judgment, like mm. if the, if there was a default judgment in place, you like you don't get to murder the guy. Now, self defense is still an issue, but you know there's a question on is Din the aggressor? Mm. And that's a little hard to tell because he shows up fully armed. Blasters, knife, spear, uh, the dark saber, the, the was it whistling birds. I'm like, there's yeah. all kinds of weapons <laughs> that he has at this guy's business. You know, like that could be seen as aggression. On the yeah. flip side, if there was an arrest warrant, for the debt, which again is problematic on so, so many levels for enforcing a judgment. Where do you even start with that? Now they, yeah. you know, to be fair, the, uh, one of the henchmen bites Din's hand first. So like rapidly. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I think this might be the first time we've seen a human size person do biting in star wars <laughs> not 100 but it's like there i don't remember biting being a thing besides like a, Other than a wookie yeah Crescent did it in the last episode but yeah this yeah, was yeah, this was like very dog-like <laughs> yeah because these guys look like like breeds of dogs to, yeah, to a degree yeah. uh so i mean it turns into self-defense pretty quickly but it, it doesn't change the fact that this reeks of like a mob hit to collect a debt, mm -hmm. which ultimately Din just uses the head to get information so someone else can collect on the bounty, which consists of the victim's head. This is, this is the good guy. Yeah. And it is really weird and uncomfortable when you think about it because it's a brilliant fight. I, I mean, just from the Star Warsy aspect of it, the fight is outstanding yeah. and choreographed well, and it's well lit. Bryce Dallas Howard knows how to direct action. Yeah. But he beheads a dude because he didn't repay a loan. What, what's interesting, if you go back and, and think about season one of The Mandalorian, 
it it was almost like those bounties that were on the table you know he he's talking to grief karga and they're talking about grabbing you know going to pick up bail jumpers like very traditional crimes that bounty hunters in the real world exist to to help police in a way uh police with a little p um you know they 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 function in this quasi judicial role where where they go out and and help bring these folks in so that they can uh, face the justice system, not kill them or whatever. And at least in that role, while lethal force was on the table for Din, it there existed this like legitimacy about the missions that he was going on. Um, and, and you had all of this against the backdrop of the code of the bounty hunters guild, right there, you know, there are certain types of jobs that were off limits, that sort of thing. And here, this seems very different, although he does have a puck, right? So he has, he has a very similar bounty, hunt, uh, bounty puck, which seems to suggest that this is a guild job. But I don't know that we've seen a debt collection job like this. But uh, remind me not to take out a loan from whoever that uh, Ishi Tib was, <laughs> because I'm not trying to get cleaved in half by the Darksaber. Yeah, there's... Yeah, that was pretty brutal. And yeah, so unfair debt collection to a whole new level. Yeah. Now we see uh, something fun with augmented reality markers. Have you played with augmented reality at all? I have not. No, not other than just like little AR, like apps on the phone with different stuff. That's what I was thinking because yeah. they're there are different apps where you can see markers places and mm -hmm. I've never played Pokemon go, but mm -hmm. it could be similar to yeah. that. There are others. Uh, I came really close to doing it on a scout event on the USS Hornet, but ran out of time because I thought it'd be cool for, you know, you scan and you see things. That's how we find the other Mandalorians. Great. It's not littering. It's mm -hmm. not, um, you know, they're, they're not defacing anything when they do it because it's virtual and not there and only visible if you have the special goggles or visor to see it. So I thought that was a neat little uh, effect that they have. But we learned a lot about the Mandalorians. And the thing that immediately came to mind was, are they squatters? <laughs> are they renting this place or are they just down in the bowels of this ring world, which we'll talk about that in a minute, but are they just tapping into power sources? Yeah. Is this adverse possession of some kind or are they just squatters? Did you have any thoughts on this? So I thought it was it, the, it, the fact that only two survived that assault on Navarro sort of put a fine point on how devastating that was for the covert but if it's adverse possession they've got a ways to go even i i don't think a lo whole lot of time has passed between navarro and this episode and at least in pennsylvania uh, so when we talk adverse possession just to back out we're, we're talking the ability for somebody that doesn't own a piece of property so a trespasser to become the legal owner of that property uh, through this weird legal quirk um, called adverse possession. You, you sometimes hear it called squatter's rights, that sort of thing. 
But the thing about it is, in most places, it takes a long time and some very particular uh, requirements to be able to claim, like rightfully claim adverse possession. Pennsylvania is 21 years. 21 years you have to be in hostile, open possession of the property. So meaning it you, you can't be secretly like hidden in a hole or something like that. And you pop out after 21 years and, and say it. Um, but uh, for, for, for that period of time, you've got to be openly uh, occupying that piece of property uh, without any right to it. Uh, so open, notorious. Uh, these are the, the types of, of descriptors that, that have to be met. Um, and it's hard to say. I mean, they, they've got a long way to go, probably another 20 and a half years uh, for using Pennsylvania law to live down there. But the whole point is we don't want people trespassing and just like like squatting and claiming property. That's the reason why you have to occupy for so long. So I, I don't I also don't know how open and notorious their their occupation of these like lower bowels are because you've got to to you know use augmented reality or or the the sort of thermal signals to to actually find your way to the covert. They're very well hidden. Uh I, I don't think they're gonna meet the the standard here, but even if they did, they got a get a long time to exist down there <laughs> yeah different states have different levels whether it's five years or seven 21 is playing for keeps yeah yeah no squatters in pennsylvania no and <laughs> they don't meet that at all so that it's like a form of trespass that we have with yeah who owns that is this just like like it's not negative space there's plumbing, there's all the guts for the ring world that's down there. So mm -hmm. they're they're not in a place meant for human habitation. And they've yeah. made it a home. And they plan to recruit. So wowzers, that's yeah. super weird. I, I actually don't know. So if this is just if this is private property, you could you could have adverse possession. But if it's owned by whatever governmental entity um, runs this ring world, I don't know if you can get adverse possession from the government. I don't think you can. Uh, that's the that's like the crazy people up in Oregon who were you know having mm -hmm. their cattle on government land. It's yeah, you know it's. But we don't know the nature of this ring world. Sure. And I did a little research. There there are different ring worlds in sci-fi. So if it is around a star that would be the, the full on ring world that from the book mm -hmm. of, of said name, yeah. there are smaller ones that if there's, it's not around a star, if it's like just a really big space station, there are different levels of it. You can see light from a star. So it's orbiting yeah. something, but the issue is, is the star in the middle or is it, <laughs> how is this thing configured? But this is the first time we've seen a really high concept sci-fi idea appear in Star Wars in a meaningful way. That's normally in Star Trek or Babylon 5 or, or yeah. other sci-fi type shows. The space opera doesn't normally go there. Yeah. And the case in point is when they're putting the Starfighter together, we have a bunch of gobbledygook turns that don't yeah. seem to have any basis in reality. Like if you discuss warp drive and Star Trek, they're trying to make it fit physics. 
Right, right. They're not even pretending to do that. They're just using terms. So bully for them for for doing Ringworld and yeah. with a real budget and it looks cool. So well done, kids. Very Halo-esque, I thought. Looked good. <laughs> exactly. And that trailer. But that's something we can talk about in the future. <laughs> so moving on, let's... Uh, Let's explain why the Night of a Thousand Tears was a war crime, not if. You want to take a stab <laughs> at that? Yeah. I thought this this whole sequence, it was like a flashback within a flashback. Depends on how you look at this whole episode. But really, really fascinating. I could have done with an entire episode on the Night of a Thousand Tears, just like documentary style going over it. But we, we've heard about this. It's sort of the downfall of, of Mandalore under the Empire. Uh, the, the Empire brings its fist down upon uh, Mandalore finally. And now we've, for the first time, seen what happened, at least a peak of it. You get this swarm of Thai bombers uh, bombing and just obliterating Sundari, which is the capital city in the dome that you see explode. And then in the aftermath... Uh, KX series droids like K2SO just combing through the wreckage and presumably shooting survivors. So generally speaking, uh, when let's just take Sundari because if, if you're familiar, if you've watched Rebels uh, or you're familiar based on the Clone Wars or some other source, Mandalore as a whole is is a pretty barren planet uh, because of the, the 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 huge number of wars going back millennia. They have pretty much wiped out all normal life. So Sundari is a dome because it is uh, very difficult to survive outside that dome. But Sundari is uh, it, at least as of uh, the Clone Wars Rebels time. It's it's populated by a lot of civilians. Uh, the Mandalorians, while their history is as a warrior culture and it's steeped in combat and stuff, the actual people that live in, uh, you know, that's long history. But uh, the, the people that live and work in that dome, for the most part, are civilians and, and Mandalore, um, at least what we've seen of it on screen, they've turned to, to largely pacifist ways. And I know that some of that changed. Um, you know, certain sects changed that in in Star Wars Rebels. Uh, but the point is that there was no distinction made by the Empire during that assault based on civilian or, or uh, military target. And that's sort of one of the core fundamental principles of the law of armed conflict. You have to distinguish between civilian targets and, and military targets. And mixed in with that is is while the law of armed conflict under you know it, it acknowledges the fact that civilians can and will die in war that happens that's allowable a a strike against a valid military target uh, has to be proportional and it has to be necessary and it's just hard to to see any world in which the the utter destruction of a city in that way was either militarily nece uh, necessary or proportional in nature because it, it, and, and then I, I juxtapose that with the cleanup operation on the back end where it very much seemed like uh, nobody was left to survive. And in fact, if you take the armorers com comments, really the only people that survived all of this were those that weren't on planet or 
as they as as um, the armor's covert was, they were cloistered off world Concordia. You pick your your uh, your other destination. So um, this was a targeted uh, genocide, a major war crime. Uh, you, you can't indiscriminately target civilians and you can't. Uh, it, it goes without saying, but you cannot target um people based on their their ethnicity their religion a, a people and attempt to wipe them out that's the, sort of the, the king of all war crimes um and, so yeah very emotional scene for for as short as it was and there let's com- compare it and explain how it's different to you know firebombing of Dresden or the firebombing mm-hmm. of Tokyo and in World War II total war had erupted because part of the proportionality analysis is if one side's already targeted civilians, you're now fair game. And in Dresden, granted, there's still ugly debate over this, but the allies targeted Dresden. And part of the argument was this was supposed to be the fallback capital of the third Reich. And they wanted to rob them of the, Uh, governance capability uh, and as the war was uh, raging. There are people who disagree with that and Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five is part of that since he survived the firebombing of Dresden. Compared to Tokyo, the Imperial Japanese Army and Navy targeted civilians. Look at what happened in the Philippines, what happened across China, uh, the Japanese war crimes that took place were horrific. So their civilians, Tokyo was fair game. It was also the capital. There, there's a little bit of victor's justice here because, yeah. uh, but that's the argument for you did it first. You now have a target on you. The same is not said of Mandalore. Now the, the questions that, that I have are part timing. So, we know rebels and the events of was it season four are mm-hmm. three or four years before the Battle of Yavin. So it's close, but not there yet, where Sabine gives uh, Bo-Katan the Darksaber. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't know what happens after that. We don't know how Moff Gideon fights Katan and gets the Darksaber because he wins it from her in combat. And then we have a massive bombing campaign on Mandalore itself. Very large conventional weapons can make mushroom clouds. The, like when the uh, Japanese battleship Yamato was, was finally sunk, uh, they, hit, they hit the arm, but they, they hit the battery. And so when that ship exploded, a mushroom cloud came up. There are many other examples of non of non nuclear weapons uh, leaving mushroom clouds. On the flip side, there are tactical nukes, and those do leave mushroom clouds. We can't tell what they use, the Empire used in the bombing campaign, whether they were large conventional weapons or small nuclear weapons. Uh, but nukes would point to sending in droids as opposed to stormtroopers. Uh, mm-hmm. On the flip side, the heat probably would have been enough to, to eliminate the possibility of human beings uh, going in for the clean-off operation. 
But either way, this is just a war crying to high heaven. Yeah, and what's interesting here is the Empire certainly can can muster a lot of firepower. I mean, look at Bad Batch and the destruction of Topoka City. You know, that was two, three Star Destroyer. Those were Venators, but, but you know, uh, low orbit uh, turbo laser strike. That can certainly get the job done. This was a statement operation to, to make sure that not a single Mandalorian made it out alive. And, uh, you know, if, if it if it came to bringing those, uh, you know, like Moff Gideon justice to justice for this sort of thing, um, not only I, I think the scale is is, uh, you know, on the, the far end, I think the armor said millions are, are uh, dead because of him. Uh, but you look at the the conduct of the operation. I mean, you don't you don't send that many uh, bombers into battle. You don't send a cleanup crew of uh, of like assassin droids in if um, if this is just the standard military operation to say, hey, we need to hit some of their weapons producing facilities or maybe uh, hit their airfields. This or that. This was a uh, a genocide, uh, and and there's nothing else to it. That to arrival power. Because part of yeah. the statement was thinking, I haven't watched those episodes of Rebels for a while, but we had the uh, we had sects that were collaborating with the Empire, mm-hmm. and they had a you know a puppet government in there, uh, but there were other moons and families with ruling capability that weren't on board with uh, the Empire, and it's worth revisiting to to mm-hmm. get into that history. But the Empire could clearly see this as a threat and want to make the statement of, we're going to kill all of you. But I do wonder, when was this done? Was it pre-Yavin? Was it post-Yavin? How, like, where was it in the war? Was it like a last gasp sometimes before the Battle of Endor? Or was it, where was this in uh, in the timeline? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't change the fact that we could do a bitch and war crimes trial of Moff Gideon and boy, how do you do? I want to, because we now have enough facts to pull this off. Yes. Uh, and, and I'm sure we'll get more. Uh, the fact they talked about a tribunal. This was just one thing that he did. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's more, uh, but well, we, we did we did find out. I mean, this is an interesting sort of uh, extension off of this. We find out what happened to him. He was turned over to New Republic authorities. I was really hoping that Din would would have taken possession of that light cruiser and just like that's his ship now. But uh, I guess that got turned over as well. And uh, th- there's mention of he gets questioned by Paz and uh, by Paz Vizla about why he didn't just execute him. And he says, well, he's going to face the new Republic tribunal. They'll probably execute him. So even five years after the, uh, the battle of Endor and, and the, the ultimate fall, probably four years after the, the fall of the empire, officially, you still have the tribunal operational, probably because the Imperial remnant still exists. And those folks are treated as war criminals. Um, so it, it's it's been known that the tribunal has existed. That's been mentioned in like book materials. Really, really cool to hear it said out loud, especially with disdain. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't call it disdain, but they're well from pause, of, from yeah, pause at least. 
again, he's in the Robert Taft. We just take him behind yeah. the barn yeah. camp. I, <laughs> I, I'm much more. What's in the due process? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I prefer the Justice Jackson approach. Right. That said, uh, the war crimes trials of the Nazis went on up until basically the Berlin airlifts. And we stopped that because the Cold War became the issue. And there was also the horror and the realization we would need to prosecute everyone in Germany. And that would become problematic, uh, especially dealing with the Soviets. Um, I'm also of the mindset we didn't do it enough for Imperial Japanese officers uh, because of the atrocities they did. That said, Star Wars is different because there's an active Imperial remnant and which would be just different historically from what we can compare it to. So lots to talk about. And I promise anyone listening, we will do this as a mock trial. I don't know where, I don't know when, but we will. So we then get into dueling. We don't allow that anymore. Too many people died. And like uh, occasionally I'll see on Facebook from the uh, Naval Institute, like when dueling was banned in in the Navy, which was its own thing before the federal government banned (laughs) it overall, because we can't have people taking pot shots at each other. And when there's only three people left in your exclusive secret club, maybe dueling's not the best way to solve your disputes. And it also just really... Uh, strikes that the the Vislas are genetically schmucks, that it's bred into them. (laughs) Gillilands are high, strong, and hardworking. We got that going on. But to go like, you're genetically a jerk uh, is is pretty astounding to see with with the Vizsla characters. Uh, Anyway, I just... Any any comments on the duel? I I like that they set aside their jetpacks right after we see Din get knocked off and use it to save himself, but it's sort of up the uh, up the ante there. Um, but yeah, I mean, dueling is still legal in some parts of the world. I mean, the the Afghan tribal areas uh, jump to my mind. Uh, as a play, I, I don't know how I couldn't tell you how often that sort of thing happens, but as a as a way of resolving irreconcilable differences, uh, there are some parts of the world where, where that's still a thing. And and uh, I like that, you know, they, they very intentionally named Paz Vizla. He, he has a very um, uh, prominent last name there and a name with a lot of weight uh, when it comes to the Mandalorians. And so I like that this has come to a head. Uh, and, and their beef from season one is has come full circle and now involves family lines and one of the most important symbols to the Mandalorian people in, in the Darksaber. Um, Did, I thought it was fascinating. We, we don't need to go into the rabbit hole about uh, the, the lore of the Darksaber and the weight, you know, the problems that they were both having wielding it. But I thought that was a fascinating wrinkle on the whole thing. That and I wouldn't be surprised if that was John Favreau's voice. But that's just. Uh, oh, it definitely is. Yeah. Okay. Because he's not listed in the credits, or if he is, I didn't see his name. So yeah, oh, uh, I'm sure it is. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it was him in the armor. <laughs> but uh, who, who wouldn't want to play dress up? Yeah. We then learn commercial flights. You gotta check your weapons. 
This, even this, if even if your religion calls for you to carry every weapon known to the galaxy. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to unpack there. This like if you watch any of the old airport movies like Airport 77 or Airport 75, you know, it's laughable how the security measures were in the 1970s versus post 9/11. Right. You know, Din kept his helmet on. He didn't have to take off his shoes. But there is that that weapon detector that, that yeah. they have to go through. And he has to check everything. And he gets a little baggage card. Because we we just don't tolerate that. And uh, uh, so anyway, but there were no bag inspections. It was, again, a little more reminiscent of the 70s with how we did security than mm-hmm. it is of the 21st century which probably fits the Star Wars motif of feeling very 1970s still. Yeah, yeah. This and, was one of my, this was one of the uh, I, I thought the the parts where um, the direction really paid off in spades. It was just like the moment where you, all you can see is all of his weapons going in. He's pulling stuff out of every nook and cranny on his uniform. Uh, he unspools his whip cable there. Um, so it was uh that was one of my favorite parts and he's like he makes the comment like i know everything that's in there <laughs> you have a good comment from aaron about uh religious exceptions uh india and and canada uh so uh and also in the uk to a degree so mm. that that is fascinating yeah uh, but i yeah, the the funny thing here is that the um I, the the droid seems to not have been programmed at all with any any not a capacity to understand the possibility for an exemption, but the authority to grant the exemption. So he offers him the opportunity to make his case. So it's possible that that Starliner Cruises or or whatever I forget the the name of the uh, the carrier there. It's possible that they would allow for it, but he didn't do any of the pre planning for it. So you can't be arguing with the gate agent over religion and hope that you can board the same flight you gotta have, you gotta be flexible in your travel plans if you're gonna pull that car yeah and where would he stay so he, he made the right call of like i'm getting out of ring world so we get to tatooine and we visit uh you know our, our favorite mechanic and we got the bd droid they're just teasing if it's bd1 or not and we have the fact that there was a contract of sorts for a replacement for the Razor uh, Crest. That's why our hero goes to Tatooine. He thinks he's getting a replacement for the Razor Crest. And it is, but it's, it's, this is where language matters. Mm-hmm. Is it a replacement Razor Crest or is it a replacement for the Razor Crest? Very different meaning here. And and it's it's the replacement of the vehicle, not or excuse me for the vehicle, not of the vehicle, which can get very confusing. But the fact that we see some prequel love here, because we haven't seen one of these ships since Attack of the Clones, and uh, sure, there's the comic comics where they have appeared, but yeah. we then there are all kinds of rules that come from with with souping up cars and then registering your hot rod 
and whether or not if you put the giant tires on your truck, you can still get insurance for it. So there's all kinds of rules here. But I saw this as there, there's the contract element to it for I'm going to sell you this N1 Starfighter. We have to put it together. So some assembly required. But it's kind of a love letter to George Lucas, who was very into cars and hot rods, you know, with that American graffiti feel to it, that giving it what looks like, which be under the hood of a, uh, you know, a Mustang with a 302 engine uh, compared to uh, like a Star Wars ship. So that was Mm -hmm. just, again, just a nice love letter to, I think, to Lucas. Uh, Did you have any thoughts on uh, the offer for the vehicle? Yeah, I thought they were. She was going to uncover a pod racer at first, and just be like, "Well, I can't get you off-world, but um, but but you'll be able to zoom around here really, really fast." Um, You know, when you talk street legal, um, there there are regulations about what you can drive around the streets, right? There's a reason why ATVs and uh, you know, random, uh, like certain dune buggies and stuff aren't allowed, um, on the streets. And it's, it, it's all based in safety, right? The, the government has a legitimate interest in ensuring that roadways, which are dangerous places as is, are, are occupied by vehicles that are safe to do so. Um, and, and really that, that comes down to being what they call roadworthy, right? So, uh, specific, uh, signal lights and lighting, safety equipment, sort of the basics that that you would expect to have uh, on a car uh, that that you would not die instantly in if it if it crashed. Um, the street mods that this has, or the speed mods that this has, I don't know that that would render it um, not street legal. the 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 question that comes up, and I'm I know we're going to touch on this toward the end of the episode here in a minute is how this or or the the lack of registration that this vehicle has the whole point of why din actually accepts this ship is a because it's fast like fast as hell and b because it's it's pre-empire very much like the razor crest that is off books right nobody knows this thing exists hard to track hard to know you know maintains the element of surprise and theoretically stays out of any, in this case, new Republic entanglements. Um, that would th- that wouldn't make the difference between whether something is street legal or not, but it would make the difference between whether he could lawfully operate that vehicle without fear of being immediately stopped by X-wings. You can't have the drag in your garage and take it for a spin around the block. Like there's there's a place yeah. to do that. Uh, but they're, but they're, they're very fast. I mean, speed alone or speed modifications don't, I, I don't know of any law that makes uh, it just a fast car just by virtue of it being fast, not street legal. Now, like a drag racer that requires a parachute to deploy, you know, that the kind of thing you see in the NHRA. Sure. Um, but, you know, the, the, there are some very fast vehicles available on the market um and and speed has nothing to do with with any of that so peli motto on that front i you know she's she's not getting him into any hot water but now to divert from the car 
All the stolen parts might be different. That's knowing the Jawas are stealing from the Pikes. That's problematic. The Jawas acquire. Yeah, that's theft. It's hot. There's bad mojo, bad mojo. Now we do have an issue. It's, it's a plane. It flies. We have rules on airplanes. You can't go getting your Cessna and fly at 200 feet following the, the, the I-5 down to LA from San Francisco. You just, you can't do that. There are minimum height requirements. Now in the world of Star Wars, things get a little smushy because it's different. Uh, so you have this area that that's clearly for ships to land in. So he takes off and he flies, but he's kind of low for going that speed. So there could be an issue with, it's like he's way under 500 feet and he's punching it to see how fast it can go through Baker's Canyon when he eventually gets there. Also, Baker's Canyon looks like there are homes carved into the walls. So it's a residential area in places. So that's way above the speed limit for a residential area, which is you know, 25 in, in the United States. And again, we don't allow low-flying aircraft to go through neighborhoods as well. So it's, it's problematic. So, but... Although if, if you bought a house along the Boonta Eve pod racing circuit, granted, I don't know that it's still in use, but I feel like you've, you've walked into <laughs> a certain amount of risk. Yeah, when you get your house near the airport or by the racetrack, you should expect that noise to happen. Because that's the, it's like you literally, you knew what it was used for. This What's that across the street there? Oh, that's Daytona. Yeah, it's like you would pick up on that real quick if you're yeah by a racetrack. That's it. What's funny... What I, I said I say that like half jokingly, but but I live near uh, the Pocono uh, Speedway in Pennsylvania. So it's about an hour north of me. Uh, very big oval track that NASCAR races here a couple times a year. And there's a residential area right across the street. I mean, it is it is in the sticks and there's nothing really around it. But right across the street from it is a big residential area. So and, and homes that were built since that racetrack has existed. Yeah, you, you know what you're getting into. You can't complain. Yeah. Like we're, I'm near a National Guard base, so we'll hear Reveille playing and all mm -hmm. that stuff. It's like part of the deal. We, we know yeah. that's what they do. But we then go buzz a commercial flight. That's a no-no. We, we don't allow, if you have your P-51 that's vintage, you don't go... <laughs> fly around a 737 as it's taking off. Like you just, you just don't do that. So having law enforcement show up is not a surprise because the captain of that Starliner probably called it in with like, <laughs> we got a souped up N1 Starfighter flying around. I'm not okay with this because we just don't do that here. So, uh, but this is what starts turning into a police stop and which is fascinating because he clearly had a moving violation. Mm -hmm. And so they, they have, uh, you know, a reasonable suspicion, if not outright probable cause if they actually witnessed it. 
to to detain him to go like dude what's up here and he he is truthful with like i got carried away we just built it and you know, that that almost worked <laughs> with with uh yeah. okay don't do that again go take care of everything uh but when we get into the real questions about Navarro and the Imperial Remnant, he decides to outrun the cops. <laughs> Don't try this in real life. And uh, lots of problems there, lots of problems there. Because uh, I really do think that the uh, older X-Wing pilot is appreciative. I don't think it's like, we want to bring you in because you took care of the space Nazis for us. Like that's that's a thank you. <laughs> so yeah. uh, we appreciate your help. So, <laughs> but again, them choosing not to do the paperwork—that's problematic. <laughs> so, when this so Din kind of lays out an important warning for for those that are operating, you know, maybe below the the standard of the law or, or involved in nefarious actions be careful sort of how you're driving around, right? Because it is very, very easy to give police a, a, a lawful reason to stop you. So not only does he have a moving violation, but as soon as they, you know, in effect, run his plates, run his registration, they realize he's not registered. He's not, doesn't have the appropriate transponder, uh, which, which, you know, it sounds like the, the star Wars, equivalent of like a VIN code or uh, your, your VIN number, um, although that's redundant, just your VIN um, on your car and all, all reasons that are kind of adding up to, to give the, the, uh, the, I assume they're Rangers, the new Republic Rangers, their reason to stop him. And in, in fact, they, they attempt to take over control of his ship and, and park him on it. And then that opens Din up to to quite a few dangers, given his line of work and what he's been involved in, um, because there's it, it's going to be you know, really impossible for Din to argue that a traffic stop there is is unreasonable or is unjustified. There's there's no pretext to this stop. He did some wrong stuff. It'd be like if you rolled through a stop sign, uh, you can't complain that the officer stopped you. And then happen to find all the illegal things that you had going on in your car, uh, the the you know the stop was justified. You see this lots of times in the real world, um, you know, small moving violations, a failure to signal. Some of this stuff you you cross into the sticky business of pretextual stops, um, but uh, you know the the bottom line that the common denominator here is even a small offense small to you and me uh small under in terms of the punishment that that's all on a, a police officer needs to to stop you and potentially conduct uh, a uh, a search so he just happens to have that handy dandy button to, to get out of it yeah and, and still land back on tatooine i love that it was so fast that it was mistaken for a jump to to hyperspace <laughs> yes and it's also curious to note that there's cloud cover on Tatooine, which does mean moisture. So yeah. that's kind of just kind of a neat thing to, to notice. 
Uh, we then get back to an, a contract situation with Medic Shan with a, will you work for us for this money? So we have offer consideration, mm -hmm. come on board. And we have, I'll do it for free. And okay, so kind of a different contract formation that he's taking it pro bono, uh, but um, still interesting nevertheless. Still the same sort of mushy terms that we dealt with last week with Fennec, where there's no there's no real time. It, it, Din doesn't know anything, basically, other than the rough sketch of what Boba's after and the fact that it's Boba asking. <laughs> he doesn't know it's we're going to war with the Pikes they've invaded. Yeah. So he does know there's a problem with the Pikes. Mm -hmm. And we also heard that law enforcement won't do anything, which raises the question, what law enforcement? Are we talking yeah. the New Republic is not doing searches of ships? Is it the mods that are supposed to be doing this? Like, who's the law enforcement mm -hmm. in the story? Uh, those who work for the mayor? Like, do, but no, this is now most likely. Yeah. So it's not most Espa. So it's different, a different political situation. So lots mm -hmm. of unanswered questions there. Yeah, and it does beg. I, I, I still think that this... The, even the bit about the pikes that we got here, which is they're, they're causing trouble. Pelly describes them as, as having really probably, she just almost describes it as if they brought the spice trade to Tatooine, but I don't think that's the, I, I think they've probably colored outside the lines of, of whatever system Jabba had in place, but clearly they've ramped things up in terms of that illicit trade on the planet. I still think, there is a bigger bad here in play than just the pikes that are that are scaring off even law enforcement and and i took it as um you know potentially a new republic issue uh as well they've got they, they've clearly got limited resources uh poor carson tava and his uh his rookie wingman there uh can't do a whole lot in spite of their skills so and they're and the new republic is stretched thin they've got a, even at this point in galactic history, they're still trying to get their feet under them and really cement their legitimacy as, as the governing body of the, the uh, galaxy and uh, taking down a, a massive crime syndicate perhaps isn't at the top of the uh, priority scale. Agreed. That raises us to the last question of first, I have to see a little friend. There's no legal analysis here. You know, he wants to, <laughs> this, this is just nerds feeling giddy about do we get to see luke skywalker and grogu in book of boba fett it's parents yeah. weekend it's parents weekend at Je at the jedi academy so he's gonna <laughs> it'd be it's curious so i'm cautiously optimistic that we get cameo I would love if Sebastian Stan takes on the mantle of playing Luke now. That would be pretty cool. Would Luke want to go help? Because, hey, I grew up there. What do you mean drug runners are now there? Like that could be that could be a yeah. Jedi thing to, to get involved with for we're supposed to be in bring peace. Drug lords are not peaceful, so mm -hmm. this could be something that a Jedi would want to intercede. Saying hi and dropping off what I hope is chainmail for Grogu, yeah. that's that's cool. That would make sense. 
Uh, I actually, I, if you can skewer me or whoever's listening can skewer me to, to, for saying this. I kind of hope they just do a time jump. We've got two episodes left. I, I'm okay to wait in anticipation uh, to see Grogu and that re uh, that that reunion in season three, but bring us in in episode six, episode seven, and and just show Din on the back end of that having completed the task and leave us wanting more on that front, and and catch us up later. That too works, just because there's only two episodes left. Yeah, if we had if we be- had ten, then I'd be all for it but then then the side quest makes sense Mm -hmm. but if he you know if he goes and visits cool yeah then the question turns into do we get to see anybody else and we've speculated about this before and i don't like speculation but i think it's a good hope of is there anyone else that we might get to see and who would have a vested interest in lending a hand to either fight the pikes or Mm -hmm. give boba support i don't know i wouldn't rule yeah i wouldn't rule out another bounty hunter the the issue now becomes unless it's it's just a recognizable character who who's just going to sort of take a back seat you've got only a limited amount of time Mm -hmm. and now the personality the room is crowded with personalities you've got fennec who i don't want to see drop off you've got din now in the mix and you've got boba if you start to add somebody that that where people are going to want to hear them talk and interact, uh, even a Bosk, for example, um, you got Black Kersantan that's that's in there. So it's the room's a little crowded. I wouldn't mind seeing somebody that that nobody expects to speak, like a Forlom uh, or a Zuckus. They're just there, and you're like, oh, that's awesome. But um, I, I we've got a good core crew here. There's a lot of muscle. That's been assembled. Uh, they they need some foot soldiers, though, perhaps beyond yeah. beyond the mods. Agreed. They they need people who are going to do heavy lifting, and uh, on the flip Embo, side, I like yeah. Embo's Embo would I I would only want to see Embo to to Aaron's point. That's a that's a great callback to the Clone Wars. Who else? Uh, again, I'd be happy if we see Tuscan Raiders as yeah. The rank that's a good point. Yeah, I uh, think you we've we've not seen the last of that tribe, or, or no, what, what what what's left of it. I don't think they. I don't think whoever struck the Tuscans got all of them, mm-hmm. and there's still many tribes. So the idea of getting all the Tuscans to rally to go, we're gonna get rid of the drug runners. And everyone's going to live in a nice, happy, cooperative Tatooine. That's a good goal. Like, as opposed to, we're just going to let everything go to hell. Having some stability and a functional government built upon equal protection and people being able to live their lives without fear of getting shot is the purpose of civil society. It's why we form governments. We want people to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This could they, be that. They will have fear of getting eaten by that rancor, though. You got it. <laughs> A little bit of fear. There, there's the quote about you need laws with teeth. Well, there yeah. you go. <laughs> there you go. He's, Big ones. Yeah. You, you all taste like chicken to him. So 
Don't he's screw a, he's up. He's an emotionally complex creature. <laughs> could be snuggly or you could be a snack. Yeah. But see, the Tuscans, uh, oh, yeah, I, I agree yeah, with Cobb like Band. That. Yeah. Uh, good, good, good call, Aaron. We, this is nice to have others live with us chatting. And, and yeah. Aaron uh, from, uh, from uh, um, uh, Ryloth uh, being able to share their uh, Ryloth relics, all their cool stuff. Uh, being able to to pitch in with Cop Band, yeah, that would that would make sense. The that town showing up, there are Tuscans there that we've now met. So we just you need like a thousand of them if we're going to have anything of a real battle or show up in force. Just to again think of quickly down under, you know, when uh, the the native people show up to go like get out. It's time for you to leave. <laughs> We want that. We do want that with the bikes. So, and and they have a now a history because of that rail train of of just popping people off. So, so again, hope. Uh, I will share a hope that I have for Mando season three, and that's uh, you know finding foundlings is a lot like finding force sensitive younglings. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see Mando hanging out with Luke, finding four sons of kids to take to Luke's academy. That would be, that would fit on so many levels. And it would be a good purpose for Mando who wants to find a new family and, and some place to belong. Of course, there's the track of go recapture Mandalore. Yeah. But... Uh, I could see him finding Force-sensitive youth and taking them to, to Luke because it fits uh, the Mandalorian creed and could, could be a good way to bridge the two. So, yeah. But it's wrong to speculate. That's how things can go to hell pretty quick. So, <laughs> Any thoughts on that for what we might see when Mando returns? I, I think his his destiny lies with Bo-Katan, either with or against her. I don't know how he'll end up aligning, but I think her inclusion was very purposeful. I think we've we've yet to see the last of the armor. Uh, the fact that they give somebody like uh, Paz Vizla a name and a, a you know we we know his identity, we know at least his bloodline, uh, but yet the armor remains shrouded in mystery. I, I firmly believe she's somebody that we've seen before. Um, yeah. The, I really like the theory that she's Rook. Uh, one of the, one of the Mandalorians that we saw aligned with Maul, she, you know, her character goes all the way back to the, um, the Maul comic that uh, the, the dark horse comic that got brought back into Canon uh, at the reset. Uh, so she's been around for a while. She played a fairly prominent role was around for the split um, with, with Bo-Katan. So I, I tend to think there, there's some intentionality there and there's been speculation that there might be a Bo-Katan type spinoff show. So we'll see, but we, we've not seen the last of retaking Mandalore and sort of reestablishing things. And we honestly don't know what it looks like right now. Obviously things got blown up and we're very bad. I don't know what Mandalore right now, say, uh, 10-ish years after whatever happened to it, 10, 15 years, uh, what it looks like if there's an Imperial remnant there. 
seems like there's a fight to be had, though. Yeah, it could be 25. Son of Dathomir, thank you. Yeah, yeah, it could be 25 and good call for Son of Dathomir. But again, it could be 25 that that have passed. Mm -hmm. And did anyone go back to rebuild? Or is it just yeah. a wasteland, you know, that looks like, again, London after the Blitz? Uh, so, like, what's, what is the situation there? I do think Mandalore will be part of the story. But I, you know, we'll just see how it plays out. Uh, yeah. I, I could see multiple things happening, but we we now know that there's rich story content, and they know how to throw curveballs yeah. that we didn't expect. Yeah. So I, I'll tell you the first thing that I do every episode, and I'll be doing this with a little bit of pain. Uh, these last two episodes, I check the little. I bring up the. Um, the the time of the episode and just check how long how much star wars i had a, i have ahead of me so i'm really really hoping that they're on the longer side these last two episodes as they wrap things up probably and again theoretically we're going to get a show a quarter this year or close to it if they yeah. do that type of release schedule because we get andor kenobi mm -hmm. and possibly mando season three so we could get this quarterly and the, the crossover prospects I think are for Mando and Boba high, but mm -hmm. I wonder if we'll, we'll see with, uh, and or would be alive at the same time, the Kenobi series mm -hmm. and same for Kenobi and Andor because they both die within uh, several days of each other. So, <laughs> uh, so there's that, uh, but they, uh, yeah, again, you know, you could see if Kenobi's nine years, nine or ten years after uh, the the Empire forms, you know, he's got some gray. If it's fifteen years, five before the Battle of Yavin, we'll have a lot more gray by the time of Andor. So yeah. there's crossover potential showing yeah. kind of a connective universe, uh, but we'll see if they do that or not. Uh, yeah. But Anyway, everyone, uh, for those who are on, any other legal questions or uh, ideas you want to uh, share? We have pitched, I, I can reveal, I won't reveal details, but we have pitched several things for Star Wars Celebration. So fingers crossed. More we to pitched, follow, though. Yeah, we pitched three. So we'll yeah. see what we get. And unless we got really creative, we could still pitch one by tomorrow. So it's true. Uh, they stay open until tomorrow at midnight. Yeah. So we, my rule is three or four and we, we pitch that. Uh, I'll say two straight panels, one mock trial. So we'll see if they uh, engage on any of those. Yeah. And that would be super fun. Uh, Cause there's, We'll have a good time and uh, very, very much looking forward to seeing people in May in person. I think Omicron will have passed by then. I'm pretty sure we'll all have to wear masks. Uh, for those who haven't attended a show in California, uh, what they did at San Diego Comic-Con Special Edition, uh, everyone had their vaccination status checked. Uh, if you were vaccinated, you got one color wristband, 
if you were unvaccinated and you had proof of a negative test, you had the uh, a different color and everyone had to wear masks, even panelists during the panels. And uh, people were, people tried to socially distance as well. Uh, we're mostly successful in with the way that they spread out the, uh, the exhibit hall. So I would expect something similar for celebration and, and WonderCon as well. So that's my sense, but I, uh, I'm glad it's May. I don't want to hop on an airplane right now and I'm probably going to drive, um, just to avoid air travel. So, but anyway, that's the future. And we got a couple months to look forward to that. So everyone who tuned in this evening, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review wherever you listen on your podcast player of choice. Uh, we also have some extra content on Patreon and we will be back. So everyone stay safe, stay healthy and stay geeky.